gospel reading for this morning comes from Mark's gospel, beginning in the first chapter at the 21st verse. And this is what Mark wrote. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And that is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O oh Lord, in all our doubts and the dangers we face, in the confusion we feel, teach us what we ought to say and do. Give to us who can do little good without you the power to speak the truth and to do your will. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. Okay. First thing I'd like to say to you today, um, and that I hope you'll get, is that beginnings matter. Beginnings matter. You know, I think that's true for us in the novels that we read. Something happens early on that hopefully grabs our attention and makes us want to read the rest of the story. In movies, those of you that are movie buffs, there's often some kind of foreshadowing early on in a movie that grabs our attention. Something little seems to happen early on that's going to have a significant effect in the plot of the movie or the story later on in the film. The same is true often with our music. Musicians talk about trying to come up with a hook. It's a little piece of a tune that will stay in your head. Um, so over and over and over again, when that comes on the radio, you go, yeah, I like this, I like this. And it keeps with you throughout the day. The same is true for the gospel stories of Jesus. Early on, the writers of the gospel stories establish things from the very beginning that are going to be themes that they carry through the rest of the story. The last time I was up here with a whiteboard was the week after Christmas when we did a carol sing, and I thought it'd be fun to just compare the two birth narrative stories of Jesus, and we did that together. So we, we know now, let's just review quickly, that Matthew and Luke both contain birth narratives, right? That's how the stories of Jesus began in Matthew and Luke's gospel. So in Matthew's gospel, the story actually begins with a genealogy, correct? Those of you that have read the first part of Matthew's gospel. Um, and the genealogy does what? From verse 1, it establishes Jesus firmly in the story of Israel. But Matthew uses a unique um, method to do that. In that, if you read genealogies in the Old Testament, even throughout the New Testament when they appear, mostly the names are male. They're male names. And Matthew starts out okay, 
But early on in his genealogy, he starts bringing up women, which should cause us to go, hmm, something's going on here. Something is really going on here when we get behind the stories of the women that Matthew brings up. Because who are they? Do you remember? There's five women in Matthew's genealogy. First one is Tamar. Remember the story of Tamar? I don't want to get too deep into this today because I've got other things to do. But Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, doesn't even say the name Bathsheba, and Mary. What do those women have in common? They would have been shunned during that time, and most of them are involved in some kind of scandal. Some kind of behavior that would be um, um, risque. Risque. So Matthew begins his story like that, firmly plants Jesus in the story of Israel with these five women, because most people that hear what he's going to say about Mary go, Oh, there's no way God would work like that. So Matthew says, well, lest you forget, let's go back to these other four. Then Mary, and then the story of Matthew drives forward, really establishing Jesus as a new Moses. Much of the birth narrative um, in Matthew's gospel is designed to set up Jesus as a new Moses. Matthew, Matthew's gospel gives us the royal courts, gives us the wise men coming, to recognize Jesus at the end of the birth narrative, where are Jesus and Joseph and Mary in Egypt? And what has happened? The slaughter of the innocents is in Matthew's gospel only. If you remember the Moses story, little boys were being killed. To the point, and I think this is interesting, that we remember the names of the two midwives who were saving the boys, um, who were preserved as well. You remember their names? Shifra and Pua. Kind of cool names. So those of you that want to continue on tradition when you have your next little girl, remember those two names. <laughs> I'd love to baptize a Pua. So there's Matthew. Luke's gospel um, is much different than Matthew's. Gives us a birth narrative, but Luke's gospel begins, and I said beginnings were important, where? In what place does Luke's gospel begin? Does anybody know? In the temple in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And what's going on there? Zechariah, the priest, is in the Holy of Holies. He's finally got his shot. He's been waiting a long time for this. And all of a sudden, who appears? Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, Hey, guess what? Your wife's going to have a baby. And he says, What? It's the last thing he says for nine months. <laughs> yes, it was smart. I think Gabriel did him a great service, but that's the other servant. <laughs> but his big moment, what he's waited for his whole life, is to go out and pronounce the benediction, and he can't do that. You know, and Luke sets up this whole story about how things are getting flipped upside down. Early on, the angel also appears to Mary, and it's angels' appearances to women that help drive that story. Um, it's not through the men. 
The people that first hear the news in Luke's gospel are the shepherds who I told you the last time we talked about this were like the hell's angels of the time. They were the outsiders who carried the good news. The entire gospel of Luke is set up to bring the outsiders in. The outsiders in. Then we have John's gospel, which is a whole other thing. Because John's gospel begins where? Trick question. In the cosmos. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God and not one thing came into being without him. So Jesus in John's Gospel is present from the beginning of creation. It's a whole different kind of story. But John sets it up and early on in John's Gospel we get the wedding at Cana, which is Jesus' first miracle. And we find out in John's Gospel there's a consistent theme. And that's where Jesus is, where there was an absence of something, there's now an abundance. They were out of wine at the wedding of Cana, right? And Jesus did what? Did he create a glass? No, barrels, baby. Barrels of the finest stuff from water. So this is a consistent theme in John's Gospel. That's a big build-up to get to the beginning of Mark, which is where we are today. Mark. And Mark begins where? Where does the story of Mark begin? Is there a birth narrative? It's a trick question. I just told you there were only two, and I told you the two. No birth narrative. Mark begins in the wilderness. And the first person on stage is Jay the Bee. John the Baptist is in the wilderness. And what's he doing out there in Mark's gospel? Do you remember? Yes, he's baptizing. Do you remember for what? Baptizing for forgiveness of sins. Why is that new? How do you get this in ancient Israel? Yeah, you go to the temple with an animal, they slit its throat, throw the blood against the altar, priest is standing there covered in blood, that's how you get forgiveness. And John's out in the wilderness saying, nah, let's just dunk you. We'll just put all that aside. No, I want you to hear how revolutionary this is. You know, and this is why from early on, the temple authorities aren't too happy with John or Jesus. Because it's taking away the way they make their living. And creating a direct connection with God. So he's out in the wilderness, forgiveness of sins. Okay, and that kind of initially lets you know there's some kind of confrontation going on here. All right? And then Jesus shows up. And John baptizes Jesus, correct? And then what happens? The heavens rip open. Right? Scripture tells us the heavens rip open. Well, what happened the last time the heavens ripped open to the people of Israel? They drowned. The last time the heavens ripped open, Noah had built this wonderful boat that saved him and his family and a bunch of animals. 
And God said, never do that again. So now the heavens rip open, and there's no rain, but there is a voice, right? And we learn from early on in Mark's gospel that there's, it's a gospel of confrontation and that Jesus erases boundaries. Then in Mark's gospel, which, by the way, is the first gospel that was written down, and is very Hemingway-esque, those of you that like Hemingway, short sentences, action-packed, get, get to the point. That's Mark's gospel. So right from the baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How, how much does Mark tell you about that? Not much. Two verses. Hemingway. Oh yeah, he went out in the, de in the desert, he was tempted by the devil, he was with the wild animals, and the angels ministered to him. That's it. That's the whole thing. He comes back from that, and immediately, which is another good word in Mark's gospel, he gathers up four disciples, and then we get to where we are today. And he goes into Capernaum, and he goes into the synagogue, because it's the Sabbath. And that's what we do, right? On Saturdays, we go to synagogue. On Sundays, we go to church. So he goes into the synagogue, and Mark tells us that he teaches as one who has authority. So the people there are like, whoa, haven't heard this before. He's making the, the scriptures come alive for us. This is like we haven't heard it before. Where does he get this authority? They're mumbling among themselves, and we don't know how long this goes on, but we know they're amazed until something happens, and somebody in the tenth row starts to heckle him. And it's a man with an unclean spirit. Now, does that raise your antennas a little bit? Should it? Why would a man with an unclean spirit be in the synagogue? What's the synagogue for? It's for all those who are ritually clean, right? So to get into the synagogue, you have to go through a mitzvah or two. You got to wash yourself. You got to be clean. So, how did this man with an unclean spirit get by our ushers? How did that happen? All right. Well, I think what we like to do is explain it away and say, you know what? I, he had to be a visitor. Because <laughs> certainly not one of us would have a, no, we're not even going to think about that. We're not even going to think about that. So he speaks up. And what does he say? He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth. Us? Who's us? It's him, right? You may not realize this, but you're an us. There are so many of yous in you that you're an us. And a lot of them have to do with beginnings, if you think about it. When you were that baby, first wrapped up in a blanket, and your mother saw you and instantly fell in love with you, which is how you got fed for the next 50 years, 
That's important. That's an us. That's in there. You don't think about it much, but it's in there. When you were an awkward teenager and you were out on your first date, that us is in there. When you went to college and you were a cocky college freshman that thought you knew everything you needed to know before you even got there, that us is in there. When you started your family, you brought that baby home, that us is still in there. So us is in there. And the us says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus, who breaks boundaries in Mark's gospel, says what? Be quiet and come out of him. And in front of all those people who were already amazed, whatever it was that made him unclean, came out of him. And then the fame spread. And all I want to put forward for you today is that I think each and every day, each and every one of us, whether we scream it or whisper it, are saying, what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth, to which Jesus says, just be quiet. I got this. If you give him a chance, if you break down the boundaries, all the little monsters that you've created that keeps the us in there, can be gotten by. What's true then is as true today, as sure as you're sitting there. So, Mark's gospel begins with a story of confrontation that begins to break down boundaries. If you're interested and read the rest of it, I think you'll see how that works right up to the end of Mark's telling of the wonderful story. And I think that's all I gotta say. Any questions? Thanks for your time.